This episode, the tension is growing along with us. Welcome back to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. Now today, on this episode, we are in part two of our series. Well, no, part two of our look at Equal Vision Records. Of course, we are in the middle of a series where we're looking at a different, a number of record labels that we loved growing up and even to this day. And today on the show, Aaron had the opportunity to interview Peter Soros of formerly of Fairweather and more recently of Be Well, both bands of which are on Equal Vision Records. So we're going to get into that in just a minute. Real quick, go follow us on social media at Growing Punk Pod. That's Twitter and Instagram. You'll find our personal Twitters and Instagrams there as well. And uh, head on over to our website, growingpunkpod.com. Make sure you tell friends about the show. Uh, we're having a lot of fun doing this, and it's even more fun when we know you're having fun doing it too. Anyway, let's hop into the interview. It's Aaron chatting with Peter Soros of Fairweather and Be Well about his favorite releases from Equal Vision Records. So what's the first memory you have about Equal Vision? Like, do you remember hearing about it or what the first band was? Um, kind of, you know, just to add a, a quick little back thing, you were just saying, you know, you've been with the label a long time, and uh, so you've got some, some good insight, so let's, let's hear your wisdom. Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me, by the way. This is awesome. Um, I got to say, so it goes way back before Fair, I was in Fairweather, I... Uh, had just gotten into hardcore in maybe seventh or eighth grade, which is in maybe 1989 or something like that. And, uh, I just discovered youth of today and I was really into gorilla biscuits and youth of today and judge. And a friend of mine gave me when we were skateboarding That's how I got into like everything in music was through thrasher and through skateboarding. And I had a lot of older friends Cause that was back when, I don't know what happens now I'm 44, but when I was a kid and I was skating, skateboarding really transcended age. And so I would be in like seventh or eighth grade and the kids I would be skating with were like in high school and we'd go to all the spots and they'd show me music and stuff. So anyway, they were all hardcore kids that were older in high school and they were like, Oh, you like youth today. You should check out Ray of today's band shelter. I never heard of shelter. Cause it was like, a pretty new i guess they were just kind of came out and so he actually gave me the no compromise seven inch and uh that was one of equal visions first releases maybe their first and that's when i kind of became aware of record labels in general mm. because before that i didn't really have any i didn't collect records yet i just yeah. had tapes dub tapes right and oh yeah even before that, when I was into punk, before I discovered hardcore, it was still just tapes. It was like GBH tapes and exploited. And I kind of like moved into Minor Threat and Grill Biscuits from there. And so when I got that record, it was actual tangible thing in my hand. And then it had this crazy logo with the Hare Krishna thing on it. And it really appealed to me, which is funny because it's one of the ones that I picked for the one of my picks. But uh I was so used to the break down the walls, Ray Capo, which was like just crazy singing. Like I'd never heard before in my life. And he was so angry and nuts. This still had like the same energy, but he was singing and the music was more mm -hmm. melodic. And there was a second guitar part happening that was doing these like, uh, octaves and harmonies and stuff. And so I was drawn in because I was already sold because of who it was, but then the music, 
kind of awakened me to this other world where you could have the same energy, but have some dynamic and melody to it. Yeah. Right. And so that was kind of like my first intro to it. And then a lot of bands from that time, this is when there isn't, you know, there's probably a ton of local bands that I didn't even know about. So I just kind of knew about the big ones like Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today and Judge and Shelter and who else was part of that world? I don't know, this is 1990 or 91. I was really into underdog at the time too. Um, and a lot of these people shared members. So you'd start reading jackets of these labels and you'd start to see who's on the thank list of, yeah. I'm sorry, of the, of the seven inches. And so that's how a lot of people my age got into doing this. And so you would see the equal vision and then be like, okay, I guess this is a thing that I need to learn about the same as victory and uh, revelation were at the time too. Victory has, was, was new also, newish, I guess. And uh, we started skating near this record store that was in Georgetown in DC around the same time. I was kind of taking the train into town more often to go skateboard with these older kids and they drove too. I was, like I said, I was in eighth grade. And so we'd hang around the record shop and talk to the guy that sold records there and then you could flip through them. And so then I could actually start to pull out oh, this is an Equal Vision record too. Let me look at this. Or this is a Victory record too. And that's how I kind of became aware of the whole record label thing. Because before, like I said, before that, I bought tapes and it was like fucking Skid Row and Poison. And <laughs> and uh, my Good uncle stuff. got me, you know, some like <laughs> random stuff, you know. And I didn't understand that labels were such a big deal because at a, as a young boy, it was like, every other kid in, in America, you're looking at TV and MTV was huge. Then it's like, you're either on MTV or you're like playing in a garage. And right. to me, there was, there wasn't an in between until I started skating and reading about shows and, and meeting these guys that I was skating with, they were actually going to shows. So I went to my first real show, I think when I was in eighth or ninth grade, which is like 90, 1990, I think 1991. And uh, then it just like blew the whole lid off. Yeah, it, beca is. it became it became real, and and I met some of these guys. They're nice to me, and it just like ex exploded in my life, and it became this thing that was just like I never looked back. Yeah, that's what I, I love hearing these kind of stories because it just it reminds me, you know, one how kind of community minded this kind of music is, right? Like you start mm -hmm. by skateboarding and, you know, you're sharing these like different passions and it leads to, you know, like this record shop and shows and just all these, these, these new things that, you know, kind of come up out of nowhere. And then, you know, next thing you know, it, it becomes your life and 25 yeah. years later or whatever, it's still such a big part of your life. And, you know, it was so, it was precious then too, because it was hard to find and you had to really seek it out. And so when you met somebody else that was into the same thing, it was like an instant brotherhood or like the guy that worked at the record shop who incidentally I know now as a friend in DC, just out in the city. Right. And he would say, Oh, you like this band? Check out this band. Yeah. And sometimes it would be, I wouldn't like it. And other times I'd be, my mind would be blown, but that's how you would learn about stuff by somebody like taking your hand and bringing you down this path. Yeah, And that kind of thing is so hard to find now because music is so, it's not regional anymore and it's not um, hard to find anymore. And so those things all together, it was like, must have, it was perfect storm before the internet 
of yeah. feeling like you're a part of something. And I'm, I'm not discounting what it is like now to, 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 to get into this kind of music now, but really I was lucky to have been there then at that time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and when you're discovering it, I mean, now because you can discover everything, you know, in five minutes, right? it just, right. It, it takes away the value of it, you know, like it's kind of like, oh yeah, that's cool. But there's a hundred other things I can go to right away instead of, you know, spending that week or a month or months, you know, listening to that one album or, you know. That's a good point. And maybe when you bought that album and you didn't like it at first, but since you paid money for it oh, and man. you weren't buying things, you might have given it more of a chance over time. Yeah. Like I remember listening to things quite a bit and being like, eh, I, yeah, I don't know if I like it. It might be okay. Let me keep putting it on because it's one of the albums I have, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then like, maybe later, all of a sudden, it's like, boom! This is this band is amazing. I didn't know it then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I told you. Say, I mean, I grew up in a in a small town, so we didn't even have. I don't even know. If, I mean, we had a CD store, but it just would have been like Radio Shack selling, you know, like like you said, Poison and Skid Row yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'd get one new album when we went, you know, to the city to see family, which was you know four yeah. hours away. And right. I mean, there's still albums now. I kind of look back and it's like, it's weird that I really liked it. And I don't know if I did. I just, it was new. So I got it. Or and that's all I had to listen to. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. or it was on a label that I liked. So I assumed it was a certain kind of music and maybe it wasn't, but again, it's all I had to listen to for the next three or four months. So I think there was this one year that I bought, let's be honest, my parents bought them, but I bought a Skid Row tape, a Lemonheads tape. A Mighty Mighty Boston's tape. A jeez. It was just like everything that looked cool or I'd heard of or looked crazy. I would try to get red hot chili peppers. Oh yeah. That's uh, quite a Mother's mix. Milk. Mother's Milk. It had a girl <laughs> on the cover and it was like, what? She's naked. This is insane. And I remember thinking that that band was like so crazy until I actually like got into more music that was just happening right around me you know yeah so kind of you know fast forwarding how did fairweather get signed to equal vision you know kind of what happened in those you know so you're skateboarding or in high school you know you kind of you start playing and start playing in the band and creating was equal vision kind of you know like what you were hoping for how did that all play out so i think i mentioned this before when we spoke quickly over the internet i joined the band right after if they move, kill them came out their first record. Oh yeah, that's right. So, but it's really kind of serendipitous how the whole thing happened. I was, I met Ben Green in art school. So he and I went to the same art college in DC and I was a bit older than everybody else in Fairweather. Right. And I was closer to the end of my career at school and I was playing in like a real tough guy hardcore band with like lots of moshy parts and gallopy stuff and double bass, right? And we've been playing a lot and we put out a few records. We would play up and down the East Coast. And um, I was getting really tired of that genre. I love playing that kind of music. I, I love moshy hardcore music. But as a guitar player, I was getting tired of it. And I was getting tired of like the the violence at the shows and yeah. how, how crazy that was starting to get. And, you know, you're paying a lot of money to go to college and it started to feel kind of like a chore to me. And so at the same time, I'm starting to listen to a lot of other bands that were just kind of like a breath of fresh air that still felt like they were hardcore to me, like H2O and 
this is when Save the Day had just come out. And I was okay, really, yeah. into, really into the first Save the Day record because to me, it felt like a new version of Lifetime. I was a huge Lifetime fan. Yeah. And um, Lifetime really translated to me with, they used to have a lot of moshi parts when they were around. I used okay. to see them all the time as a kid. They would come to DC like every other weekend, it seemed like. Um, and people would go crazy and dance like a hardcore band. They just happened to be singing, right? And that's when we called that emo, because if you sang an actual melody and you didn't just scream, it was called emo. Yeah. Um, and so kind of Save the Day picked that up for me because it was a little bit more polished and a little bit more like uh, the lyrics seemed kind of just like really straight. There were a lot of metaphors in it, but to me, it was just kind of just like such a break. And I just pointing that one band out because like I'm picturing it now as like the CD that was a little bit different in my hate breed rotation at the time. And they would play hardcore shows too. And so at the same time, I'm starting to kind of like get more into this melodic stuff and get back into older DC music that kind of missed the boat on when I was younger because I was really into hardcore. And this is the kind of funny thing about DC is that the DC hardcore scene and the DC discord scene after a certain time didn't really overlap much. Um, a lot of people think that if you're from DC, you must've just seen scream and Fugazi and all these bands play together and yeah. John box and all this stuff. But like, if you're going to see integrity and lifetime, you might not be going to see job and whatever philosophy or whatever bands coming through. I don't know. So I started kind of getting back more into job and I was, I think Burning Airlines was a band that I was starting to get really interested in because the guitar playing was starting to be more fascinating to me. At the same time, I became friends with Ben Green in school. He was a couple years behind me, but I was really good friends with one of his friends. She said, my buddy Ben is in a band. Oh, you're in a band, whatever. Let me give you his tape. And I remember thinking, oh, another tape it's some tape that somebody's going to give me yeah um and i don't think i had met him yet at that point and then i played it and was like blown away this is the fairweather demo it was just so fun the music was like super fun and energetic and like weird and it had a very very lifetime feel but at the same time there was like uh really exciting guitar happening on it and i think ben's a great guitar player and i really loved it and ben and i just kind of became friends and then they signed the Equal Vision. This all happened very quickly. So they played like, I don't want to, they'll correct me, but maybe five, 10 shows and they got signed to EVR. And so this is a time when EVR to me was an amazing label, but they weren't like huge. Yeah. This is, this is 99 maybe, 99 okay. or 2000. Anyway, it was fantastic that they signed to this label because clearly that means they're going to tour, you're going to do all this stuff. And um, the record came out. I loved it. He gave me a copy of it before it came out. And right as it was coming out, their other guitar player was having some health issues and Ben asked me if I would play on a month-long East Coast tour with them. And... I think I was like, really, this is kind of funny how it happened, not to get too long-winded about it, but I was pretty busy. I didn't know if I wanted to do it or not. 
the idea was amazing to me, but it happened really quick. Ben, basically, I got off a plane. I got a voicemail from Ben saying, hey, we need a guitar player. We leave in day after tomorrow. Wow. So I go over to his house. We learn the songs. And the next night we play in Philadelphia. Crazy. Wow. And then we played, we played 30 shows. And that was with Thursday and Sky King Falling. Oh, man, that's crazy. So, and that was like one of Thursday's first tours as well. So it was kind of Fairweather's first long tour and maybe one of Thursday's first long tours. And so we became real good friends with those guys. Yeah. I did that string of shows. Then I had to, I, the rest of the guys in the band pretty much decided to do the band full time, but I had like one year of college to finish. The other guitar player went back to the band for a bit. Then he couldn't do it again. And so like in a month, I did another month with Fairweather and we did the West Coast with Further Seems Forever. And then the guy quit. Yeah. And so basically I had played more shows than the original guitar player besides Ben at that point. So I was just like, screw it, let's just do it. And they asked me to do it. And we just I think I think we did Alaska shortly after that. But we wrote that all together as a band and uh so that all that was a pretty crazy year from two thousand one to two thousand two. Yeah, that all, that all started. And that's, and that's what I meant. That's when I met everybody at EBR too. So okay, yeah, that's I mean, a lot to jump into. I mean, not mm -hmm. hey, let's let's learn the songs, and you're on tour, and then you're kind of a part of the band. So it wasn't even necessarily like a big plan. It just kind of sounds like it just it, kind of happened. It just kind of happened, you know. And it, I'm it's so serendipitous that I just happened to be in a class with a really good friend of Ben's to get to know Ben via getting a tape, you know, and we became friendly outside of that. Yeah. Because I, I easily could have just been scheduled in a different class and not ever met him, you know, how those kind of things work. And yeah. by that point we had done these tours and everybody got along great. I was, it's funny cause I was 24 and Ben was 18 or 19. So I felt like an old grizzled, like grown up at that point. Yeah, for sure. I spent four years after high school just being a bartender before I even went to college. So okay. So for me, like playing in a band and touring was like I played a I had played a ton of shows, a lot, and I put some records out and everything, but like work sucks. Yeah. Especially you know, work sucks if you can play guitar, even if you make nothing and you're in your twenties and you're eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, it's fucking amazing. So yeah. like I fully embraced it from from the start. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's get into some of these okay. Uh, okay. Th these picks here. It's, I mean, yeah, there's there's tons of stories, and I'm sure we could talk for hours on that. Maybe we'll have to do a follow up, uh, just talking about stories and bands and that kind of thing. But yes. um, yeah, like I had said uh, before we start recording that uh, I, I don't know a whole lot about about uh, your selections, which. Um, which is cool because you know that means there's probably other people that don't know about it, and it gives us an opportunity mm -hmm. to hear some new bands and and uh, and so yeah, let's let's uh, hear some thoughts. So your first pick was Shelter, the seven inch that you mentioned before, uh, No yeah. Compromise. Second hand gods, that's all we are. Not creating, manipulating, and leaving this 
stars Robbing from the earth and stealing from the trees Not at a need, even false prestige But it's all yours, what can we own? Not family, property, it's all our own But a miserly mind, a bunny in mind Fighting war for what's on ours Here's my plea for Sharon, And then you also gave a shout out and honorable mention to the Refuse to Fall 7 inch. Yeah. So, I, got uh, it around the, I got it around the same time. And it's funny because when I was looking through the EVR uh, roster, I totally forgot about that record. But so it's another Krishna band. I think they're from Texas, maybe. Okay. And this is when Krishna was really big in the scene. What and is that? Look, Sorry. Hari Krishna. Uh, I'm not sure what that is. Is this new to you? The Hare Krishna being Hari Krishna, the really the, you know, how Hari Krishna is that like dance around and play drums and stuff and. Uh, I can't say I know much about that. Okay, so that was huge in the hardcore scene in the '90s. Shelter was a Hari Krishna band. Uh, okay. Okay, so 
there is a lot of things. Geez, I don't know where to start now. So (laughs) just keep going. Forget it. Vegetarianism is part of that. Okay. Indian. Yeah. Yeah. Like way of life, uh, you know, being a good person, a lot of that stuff, it gets into some crazy dogma that to me is just kind of religious dogma. That's just a little weird, but there's a lot of things that overlapped with what I was kind of learning in the hardcore scene, which is like caring about people, being a good, being a good person. And vegetarianism was huge in hardcore and they kind of overlapped in that sense. And so there was this like huge outcrop of heart of higher Krishna hardcore bands at the time. So 108 was one too. Okay. Um, and it was weird. If you look back, you're like, you know, I'm a, like, I'm a 14 year old kid and I'm like, oh, they're hard Krishna, whatever. It's fine. Like it, it's, it, I guess it's a testament to like being accepting of something. I, I guess a lot yeah. of, maybe some kids were brainwashed by it and got really into it, but, um, this band refused to fall was very melodic also. And it was one of my other exposures to um, more, like I said before, emo when before emo meant just melody. Yeah. And I, and I discovered at the same time and I had the seven inch at the same time as I had that shelter seven inch. Now, I don't know what happened to that band refused to fall, but I remember like being in love with the first song on there. And one of the first things I learned how to play on drums was the intro to this to that band okay. so so it's just kind of like a fun memory for me and so the the logo the the equal vision logo is a Hare krishna image. okay I don't, even, I don't even know what it is but that's what that that person is yeah oh that's cool yeah are those, are those albums that like you still go back to and listen to yeah no They're not so much no um sometimes i'll put that shelter seven inch on it's on it's on spotify because i'll be like walking around and I'll start to hum, hum that first tune on there and get really hyped on it. And I go back to it and that song, the first song on there really still holds up. Yeah. Well, that's it's sweet. pretty, yeah. Not, not refuse to fall. Refuse to fall is more of like a time in my life where I can see that album cover. And then I feel all the things that I felt like I looked at the album cover on the equal vision website and I could almost smell the cigarettes <laughs> of my friend's mom's house where we used to jam and listen to seven inches when we were in like eighth grades. Yeah. You know, oh, that's crazy. So like all this, you're learning, you're, you're seeing all these things for the first time at that age. So yeah. that it's really easy for that to like really bring you back, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's another memory that kids these days aren't going to have. They're not going to think about their friends, uh, parents, cigarette smell when they're streaming <laughs> something on Spotify. Right. So that's, yeah, that, that's another really cool part about you know just what was kind of happening around you that adds so much to you know what we will we take in. So that's that's really cool. Oh my god, I know. I think there's so many. Not to keep derailing the topic, but there's so many records that a friend I would be with a friend we'd be listening to a seven inch, and he'd be like, "Well, you like that? Have you heard this?" And then he put something on, and you'd have to sit there and listen to the damn thing. Not like now, where like. I will go through Spotify and listen to the first 30 seconds of music to see what I feel like listening to. Right. You know, you go to the time, take the album out, you clean off the vinyl and put the vinyl on. That's how I, I discovered Turning Point. My friend was like, oh, you like this band? You should listen to Turning Point. And that was like another game-changing band for me at the same time. 
yeah melodic wow. melodic and real hardcore and fast so yeah awesome yeah well moving on to uh okay, your second on, pick is on. uh yeah I, i'm not moving on uh because i don't want to hear just just getting through the yeah of course <laughs> getting no, through the picks got, but. let's do it yeah so uh is code seven dancing echoes dead sounds from 2004 
Why, why does this album stand out or memorable to you? So Fairweather did a tour with Code 7 in 2002, I think. We did a headlining tour off our Alaska record and Code 7 was the opening band of four bands, right, on this tour. It was Code 7, Open Hand. Oh, right on. Liars Academy and us. And we, I'd never, the band had never heard of Code 7 and our booking agent sent us a copy of the record because they submitted for the tour. And we were just blown away by it. Not this one, but the one before that. Okay. And it was just this really cool, creepy, spacey, like Radiohead meets, uh, I don't know, a hardcore band. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty and, unique. And we just were like, man, if they sound like this every night, this will be the kind of show that we want to be at. And that was kind of what we were trying to do with our gigs at the time was put together a, a show that you would want to actually be at and see a little wide range of music and a yeah. little bit of everything. And them being the first band too, it seemed like a great kind of like intro to the more louder bands that were happening at the end. And they were amazing every single night. The singer is a phenomenal singer and they just played so well. And they had these like MIDI electronics in their guitars. So they could pull off all these like keyboard and piano sounds as they played. Um, and they just, they brought it every single night. Amazing. And then, so then this record came out 2004 and we were happy to see that it was on equal vision. And it's one of these records that I think it was the time that it came out that had it been a little earlier, or a little later, it would have been enormous because mm. this, a lot of the songs are hits. They're really accessible but it's really dark and really weird. This is before yeah. like Circus Survive kind of made right. spacey delay music big. And I still go back and listen to this record. I, I really, I really think that it's something that I think they broke up shortly after that. They're okay. really, under, un, really underrated band. Really amazing band. Yeah, I was uh, briefly listening to this album uh, last week. Cause I, I mean, they're one of those bands where I've seen the name a lot, but had mm -hmm. never listened to it a whole bunch and. Yeah, like it, for me anyways, it seemed like an album that you kind of have to sit with, you know, and kind of listen through, you know, I was kind of like yeah. skipping through a bit and I was like, okay, I can tell that, you know, I'm not really getting a feel for the songs just by, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go back and, and listen through it a bit more. And, you know, it's one of those ones that translates, having seen them live, it translates live a little bit more, uh... Let me find let me find the word. I think it could be a little bit more engrossing live than it is recorded. Yeah. Because the songs are so dynamic and they do a lot of MIDI sounds in there. So they're being able to pull those off together and still having like good guitar tones and having your singer sing spot on the whole time and actually yeah. putting on a good show. It's one of those bands where like I love them because I essentially saw them first, even though we, you know, we heard, like I said, we heard the record, but like yeah. I got to see them and you got to see them every night. Like I got to see Thursday every night when Thursday was a newer band Yeah, and they were incredible. like super hungry and every single show was like phenomenal, you know? And so they could have sounded like garbage on tape, but I had seen them 
every single time. So yeah, you had kind of that that cult. And there's a lot of bands that I think in between 2000 and 2010 that kind of just fell between the cracks based on other bands getting really big deservedly and bands getting really big undeservedly and maybe labels didn't know how to market them. I don't want to say equal vision didn't know how to market them, but like it was kind of hit or miss about some of these bands that could have been more household names that, yeah. sh- that weren't, you know, well, and and that's just, just luck, of, luck of the draw, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's so much of the music scene. I mean, there's tons of good bands, you know, there's, there's lots of guys I've talked to where, you know, they've done lots of huge tours, but they, even though their band was similar to the bands blowing up for whatever reason, their band didn't. And, yeah. That's just kind of how it is, you know, especially, you know, in this time, you know, early 2000s when there were so many, it seemed like so many bands in, in our scene that were getting big and, and getting, oh you know, more into the mainstream and signing with major labels. And so I think it was just, oh, you know. It was such a weird time. There would be bands that would be headlining that nobody ever heard of because they were on a major label with, like, huge management and booking. But, like, it was a crazy time. Yeah. I've lo- I could tell you a lot of stories about that time. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll have to do that sometime because I, I do love I do love those stories. So this next one here, so this is kind of a first. I, I don't think I've had anybody pick their own band, but I think it's <laughs> I, I think it's actually really cool. When 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 you told me that, I was like, you know, that means you you love it that much that you value the music and and the creativity. I mean, obviously you have your own experience of creating this, and so I'm, I'm really excited to hear. Uh, why you picked Fairweather Lusitania? Is that how you pronounce Lusit- it? Lusitania. Lusitania. What? 
glad I'm glad you weren't like this guy's a jerk. What is wrong? Oh no, I mean, I, um, I, I knew. I mean, I like your bands, so that's you know, if I was talking to someone whose band I didn't like, then maybe I would think right. it was weird. But I don't really do that. I pick people. So, that, so Lusitania was a sh- the the Lusitania was a ship that got sunk by a British submarine in world war one okay 1195 people got killed uh, citi- uh private citizens they weren't it wasn't a, a, a military ship oh, okay um so it was fairweather's second full length and it was just this probably the first and the one and only time that i've been able to really live as a full-time musician like in every respect of the word like we lived together we played as a band full-time we were on tour like 10 months out of the year and the band paid the bills and we took our time to write this and took our time to record it and it's just some of the best memories i've ever had and i can actually listen back to it and there's nothing really i'd like to change i'm just really proud of this really proud of this record i mean yeah it's really weird that uh, we're writing a new Fairweather record right now and we've been writing it for four or five years because life is just so crazy right now and everybody's got jobs and families and stuff and it's just like hard to get together you know whereas we were able to write this record in a month you know, some of the songs were kicking around before that, but we basically picked a time to record and we slotted out a month before that. And every day from nine to five, we just went to my parents' basement and rehearsed and wrote these songs together as a group. Well, that's awesome. And then, and then we recorded them for another month. And the recording process was just, I, I, I feel like we must have, it feels like, we recorded this record for a whole year, even though it was only three and a half, four weeks yeah. or something, but just, that's how, that's how unstressed we were and exciting we were. And we got to work with guitar tones and we recorded it in her ear in Arlington, Virginia, which is where so many important discord records have been made. And Jay Robbins recorded it for us, who is like a guitar hero of mine who played in Jawbox and burning airlines. And, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Um, there's just so many, Every, every I, I can listen back to it. And so when you brought this up, I was, I put this record on and as I listen to it, I think about all the different little things that we did during the recording and they're just great memories. And like I said, it's hard to find something that you're still proud of and don't want to change this late in life. Like I look at it, I, I, I make paintings too. And I'll look at a painting I made two years ago and be like, Hmm. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done this different. <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I please take my painting back and fix it and give it back to you? And um, that one really stands out for me. And I got to say equal vision was like, you're going to make an album that's 65 minutes long and uh, has an outro that's 20 minutes and there's no hit singles on here. Okay. Do whatever you want. We believe in you. And so, you know, it was pretty magical to be part of something like that, have a team that cared. Yeah. A lot of, pe- ha- lot of people didn't care. A lot of people didn't care oh, at the yeah. time. It's been re- much, much better received later, like recently, yeah. you know, the last like maybe five, 10 years than it was at the time. People wanted the first record over again. 
and uh, I think people, a lot of people, have come around to it. Yeah, well, even for myself, like I'm not from that familiar with this one. Um, I don't know if it's just by this time I was on to something else, or you know, after uh, if they don't move, kill them. But um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it, it was cool actually going back this week and listening to it, and uh, yeah, especially after you know you had said you're really proud of it. And so it was cool to go back and listen and just hear like, okay, like I wonder, wonder which parts, you know, or what, you know, is drawing him to this or why he's so proud of it. So it made it a funner listen um, for myself. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. And this is why I love, you know, talking to the guys from the bands themselves too, you know, so mm-hmm. I can kind of get some of that insight and, you know, what goes into that process. Because, I mean, this comes up lots where, you know, as a listener, you don't have anything else except what's in front of you to give yeah. you that opinion, right? Yeah. You have the artwork, you know, if you mm-hmm. have it, you know, on streaming, you don't even have that. And so when you have a, you know, there's lots of bands or albums that, you know, maybe I'll listen to a podcast of somebody talking about an album or, you know, you hear a story and it's like, then you go listen to it and it gives you that extra perspective and context and it just makes you appreciate it more and like it. So it's, you know, I almost wish I had that for every album I listen to. I wish I could, you know, yeah, hear right. a band. And That's, it's so cool to hear about. I, I, I love uh, the random footnote of a music documentary or something like that. Or yeah, I used to read a lot of like biographies and I would be autobiographies and I would hate the part where they would talk about their personal journey or whatever. I wanted to know about what they were doing when they made the record, what kind of guitar did you play and who told you to play this amp instead of that amp and that kind of stuff is like fascinating or, or this sound in here, like, you know, there's a lot of that on that record that I think is like really interesting stuff. If you care to find out about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, so the next one we have is 108, Songs of Separation from 1994.
you briefly mentioned this band uh, to start. Why why does this album stand out to you? So, okay. Uh, Jeez, I don't know where to start. This band was, like, really groundbreaking to me as far as incorporating metal into hardcore. Um, I was a fan of their singer, Rob Fish, who was in a band called Resurrection before this out of New Jersey. And Resurrection used to play in DC quite a bit, too. And they were really noisy and really heavy. And his vocals are just like blistering and so intense. And like I said, Lifetime was one end of the spectrum of you could do like melody and get this get this idea across. Whereas this guy was just like, the scream was just, I thought the ultimate scream in hardcore, right? So when he came together and they made 108, the guitar player was Vic from inside out uh who was also a huge band that was really important to me in the early 90s and his guitar playing was very heavy metal there was a lot of like uh feedback and squeals and all kinds of stuff but it was you know not guitar solo heavy metal yeah but it was so different because the earlier hardcore I was listening to was, like I was saying, Youth of Today or Judge. Judge was getting a little bit metal, but this band had very melodic parts with screaming over top of them. So their first went away record, I think it's called Holy Name, was, I gotta say, it was it sounds it's recorded so badly that it's not really fun for me to listen to. Yeah, right now. Um, but live, that's how I saw them. I saw them for the first time live. And so when this record came out, the songs were less noisy. They were more focused. They were also kind of more structured in a typical song structure form. So there'd be like an intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, maybe a breakdown. But it wouldn't be, it wasn't mosh heavy. Yeah. The song was the song was more about the vibe of that song. It wasn't like this the whole song builds up to a breakdown like like I want to say like Hate Breed would do, right? Okay. Um it would be more of like one riff that they could write a whole song around. And also as a guitar player in high school, that was really enlightening to see that you could write a traditional song. It didn't have to have 50 parts. It didn't have to be like to be metal, it didn't have to be like, uh, you know, Metallica has like a thousand parts in their songs, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. It'd be more about a cool, catchy chorus that happens. The song is three minutes long. And when they would play, it was just like phenomenal how hard they would go, this band. And the guy is like doing these squeals and doing 360 jumps into the crowd playing his guitar. And they were a Krishna band too. But the, like I said, there was like this big crossover with just like I wasn't reading it as any kind of religion. I was reading it as like being a good person and the desperation in these vocals about being pissed off at the world, wanting the world to be better was something that I think kept me on this path to being more aware of people's plights in the world. Hmm. Whereas if you're listening to a lot of popular music, it's mainly just about, you know, 
whatever fucking love or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Whereas hardcore kind of kept you grounded about the government being shitty or human rights being fucked up, you know, like sick of it all was singing about injustice system years and years ago. And I think you'll find a lot of people who are all of a sudden recently like, Oh man, the system's fucked that the cops are bad. You know, that kind of thing where yeah. it's like, you know, of course I'm a, I'm a white man and I've had the privilege of being, having a pretty easy life, but anybody who's been in hardcore for 20 years is not hearing these things for the first time. Anybody right. who's lived, in, lived in a city is not hearing these things for the first time. You yeah. Know? And there's a song on there called woman. That's really eye opening as a young high school kid in the nineties that like, about it, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's uh, touches on topics of like treating a woman a certain way for the way she looks or expecting her to be a certain way. And those things are huge when you're growing up and you're kind of getting that uh, other perspective that you're not getting from the mainstream at all, let right. alone like high school, right? Yeah. So. On top of that, the song's fucking rip. It's yeah. awesome. Man, that's, yeah, again, so much cool insight into, you know, not just, I like this album because it sounds good, but, you know, makes you feel something. It makes you think something. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just so many different levels to it, and I, I love that. Yeah, the next, uh, we'll do two more. Um, okay. I'll, I'll let you do six. Usually it's five, but that's okay. Oh, did I yeah. do six? Shit. Well, and not only did you do six, but five and six both have ties. So, but okay, uh, <laughs> no, that's okay. No, it's good. Hey, this is this is our podcast. We do whatever we want on here. So uh, yeah, you've got uh, Liars Academy, uh, two of their albums, Demons and Trading My Life.
Tied An- those ones. Yes, another band that should have been huge. Okay, Liars Academy. Every single song of both of those albums is a hit. They could have been Gin Blossoms or Counting Crows. And I'm a huge Counting Crows and Gin Blossoms fan. I would say more Counting Crows. But Ryan Shelkett, the singer of this band, they're from Baltimore. He's just a great songwriter. And he's a great guitar player and a great vocalist. And he kind of brings this replacements vibe, but they had more of like a punk rock attitude when they played. And they're just hits. I I feel good. I still, I can still put on either of these records and still feel awesome listening to them. And I just think that like you could hear these songs and it could be literally any Jim Blossom song that was off that record that every song was a hit on. Yeah, they just should. They should have been huge. And and like we were saying before, bands at this time, you could either hit it, hit it, or you could have just like slipped the cracks and not been on that one gig or not met that one guy to do this for you or that for you or whatever. Right. uh, Um, that was this band. They should have. They should have been the biggest band on Equal Vision. And God knows, Equal Vision tried at the time, but. Just wasn't the right, wasn't the right you know, time. Or the scene, the scene was weird. Like the bands that were getting big were weren't. They were getting big with more of a teeny teen angst kind of right. thing. Some of them, some of them were. Oh, and this yeah. band was much more. This was like much more rock and roll, hmm. you know. And I think that rock and roll became much more accepted in the scene as the decade went on. Right. And this yeah. band was. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to go back and listen to these ones because that that piques my interest. I mean, another band that so, I I recognize the name, but I don't know their music. So yeah, so when you listen to it, Brian McTurnan recorded "Trading My Life." Okay, EP, awesome. And Jay Jay Robbins recorded "Demons." So they basically had two of like the best producers in the genre right. do both those two records, right? So yeah. like, if that's not a recipe for success, then I don't know what the fuck is yeah no for sure that's 
it's good uh, good track record for sure it definitely helps to have those kind of names behind a band Right. So last one here is Converge, Petitioning the Empty Sky, and then When Forever Comes Crashing from thoughts on converge i got a shout out to aaron dahlbeck who was a guitar player for converge at the time he's in be well um i converge was part of this newer school of hardcore that i discovered by seeing them at a gig for the first time and it was nothing like i'd ever seen before i think i saw converge think it was Dillinger and maybe Boy Says Fire. I saw, I know Boy Says Fire and Converge played the same gig in Maryland in around right when this record came out, the Petitioning the Empty Sky. And it was just so insane. The music was just like crazy and so chaotic, but still, like I was saying that they still translated this like, uh, emotional energy that you could get through hardcore with whatever the band sounded like. If you could sell that and make it seem like legitimate and not like you were just deciding, okay, we're going to write a song and hopefully the, everybody will like it. It was like one of these bands where that, that through line was there. 
you could have all these bands that sound totally different, but as long as they can sell it to you, like they mean it. And that when I say sell it, I mean like perform it and have you go, they're not posturing at all. This band is just doing this thing. Yeah. Um, the Boyce says fire is that way. I was never really a big Boyce says fire fan, but they were so good. Right. Yeah. The guy was a great singer. So this is the same time I'm like, really kind of just branching out to more noisy stuff. I didn't like a lot of noisy stuff because I didn't really understand it. The K the chaosness of it. Right. Yeah. Chaosness is that that's not a word. Um, but so this one riff really stuck out in my head. The song, the saddest day, the opening guitar line is just like this brain crusher of a thing that just doesn't make any sense. So like if you're a guitar player and you've been writing songs that have like a normal sort of structure, and you're start of getting start of kind of getting into metal and you're start of like doing more like down picking and you're like i thought i was like getting pretty good and then i saw these guys play and i was like fuck <laughs> it's like a whole nother instrument now they're doing yeah. this whole thing they're doing a whole thing that i can't even like wrap my head around and i was just like blown away by it and that was also on equal vision right so like this equal vision always had this tie that i was kind of going back to um so this is before I was joined Fairweather when I first discovered Converge, clearly. But um, that was a great thing about that label because I kept discovering these bands that were on this label because they would kind of, they would give you something being like, okay, we're from this, we're from this world. Give this a try. Hmm. Give that a try. You know, Converge had been around forever, like, it's pretty nuts because by the time that record came out in 96 or 97, they've been around since 93. I don't know. 92. I don't know. They're old. <laughs> so that kind of guitar playing, every time I would hear something that was like so different guitar playing, it would just open my eyes up to what you could do with the instrument. Yeah. And all these other bands, every time I would kind of like be exposed to something new, I would realize, okay, I've been looking at this guitar so one-dimensionally there's so many different ways to play this guitar and i want to say that all those things together lifetime and uh one away uh converge a lot of these bands really kind of like soak I, I soaked them in and so i gotta say like my guitar playing now it's pretty weird and noisy sometimes but i am also like a little controlled and i think i can look back and go like Oh, this is the converge part that I'm writing right now, or this yeah. is the uh, this is the burning airlines riff that I'm writing because I discovered that maybe making weird notes that sound fucked up are like my favorite thing to do in the world, and I might not have felt like I had permission to do that because it the the path wasn't there for me as far as I thought. Right. right. Yeah, that's such another cool part of music too, right? Is it just it opens your eyes to so many things, and it's like, okay, if that band can pull that off, then maybe I can take a small piece of that and put it into my own style and creativity, and it, you know, it just works from one to the next. And totally, you know. there's this there's there's a song on Lusitania record, the Fairweather record, that I remember writing a whole song around wanting a song that sounded like the Cult song firewoman and it sounds nothing like firewoman sounds nothing like the cult but i remember going fuck man they did this intro so cool i want to write a song that has this awesome intro that builds up in a certain way 
And I just remember like being so inspired by that song in a completely different genre, completely different world. But that kind of gave me the, the idea to translate it into how we would do a song, you know? And yeah. so that to me, to me, that song is still like, I still hear Fireman when I hear the song and yeah. real cult fans would probably like think I'm a fucking idiot for saying that, but it's, it's true. Well, an influence can take such a different shape. It doesn't have to oh, look course. or sound the same, right? Sometimes it's just mm-hmm. the feeling or the thought that makes you then create something that's different, but it was inspired by something. It doesn't mean it has to be similar to it. So Totally, totally. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. So kind of going back to Fairweather, so you guys took yeah. um, a bit of a hiatus, you know, for a number of years and returned in 2011. What brought about that hiatus and then, like, your desire to start back up again? <sighs> So I'm glad you asked that because it's a fun story. We we're all still really good friends. They're like my best friends in the world. And it, it was this time in music that we've talked about quite a bit so far where things were happening really easy for some bands and things were not happening very easy for other bands. And we just had a really big string of bad luck and you know, some guys dropped out of college to do the band. We were paying our rent with it. Um, we lost our booking agent. Mm. We, we put out Lusitania, this record we were super proud of and couldn't get a fucking tour to save our lives. Yeah, that's frustrating. And, um, you know, we knew the record was great, but we couldn't, Equal Vision knew it was great, but we couldn't convince people because, you know, I can't blame the fans for wanting for, for feeling like they got a curveball from that record, even yeah. though I, 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 I listened in retrospect and, you know, being a, but maybe that's because I'm a guy in a band who evolves. I think it's not a big deal, but I've also remember bands that I loved having a record that sounded slightly different, being pretty bummed on it. Right. Um, now we've heard, you know, 10 years later, you hear some of those people go, Oh, I really like it now. I didn't, I didn't know I liked it then, but so the stuff got pretty, pretty tough and we were scrounging to make money and some of the guys were getting a little more disheartened doing it and like i said i was 24 when i started touring full-time and the other dudes had pretty much come like either right out of high school right out of college they never really did a lot of anything else so this was like their whole life they wanted to just take a break and chill and like hang out with their girlfriend and not wake up in a motel every day and figure out where you're going to send your sound scans and stuff. And we had a disagreement about it, but never, it was never a disagreement that led to an argument. I wanted to keep going as a band. And I think our drummer wanted to keep going because for me, it was like, you know, work sucks. I don't want to go back to work. Let's figure out a way to make this work. But the, we were at this point where either we were going to have to take it up a notch or we couldn't maintain. Like we had to start making more money to stay on the road. Yeah. Or just because, you know, you're getting older and you have to pay your bills and stuff. We didn't, we couldn't, we couldn't take part-time jobs and then keep touring. So it was this thing where we had kind of like gotten ourselves locked into this life that either we had to do the life and do it big or we had to step out of it. And, the one thing we didn't want to do was 
um, not be friends with each other. And yeah. so we kind of just came to this mutual agreement that, that the best thing to do was to just call it a day and be happy and have everybody be happy because nobody want, nobody wants to do something that somebody doesn't want to do. You don't want to yeah, force exactly. somebody to do it. Right. Yeah. Like you, like if somebody wants to, to dump you, you don't want to be like, well, I don't think you should dump me. You should stay with me if you're not happy because I want to do it. So the last thing I wanted to do was not any of us wanted to do was not all of us be happy together. So we kind of did it on our own terms and decided to call it quits. And some of the other guys really quit and didn't do any music at all. But almost immediately, Shane and I, who played drums, started Olympia because we still wanted to keep playing music and I had a lot of ideas. We kind of wanted to go maybe a slightly different direction. Maybe within the year we had started that band and um, put out a record and started touring again right away. And But meanwhile, the whole time, we never stopped hanging out, being super close friends with everybody from the, everybody from the band. So cut to like maybe six years later or so, Ben, the other guitar player from Fairweather, did, started doing a solo project called Seas, like uh, the seven C's, S-E-A-S. Yeah. And essentially Fairweather became his backup band. Oh. <laughs> now, meanwhile, we're all, we're all, we're all still friends. We're also hanging out all the yeah, time. Yeah. So these is much more like really cool, like creepy Americana kind of thing. So um, we started doing that from time to time. And we started talking about writing a new Fairweather record since we were already playing a lot together. And, like I said, since we never stopped hanging out, like a lot of bands will break up and they'll just like say peace and they don't see each other anymore. But like, we're mu very much involved with each other's lives. And we decided we were going to write a Fairweather record, but maybe change the name of the band just so we could do a new band and not have any pressure. And we got together and we decided to just start jamming some old songs and just thought like, maybe screw it. Let's just do a show with these old songs. Cause at that point it had been maybe, eight years or something. Right. And when we got together to try to rehearse for the show, we just started writing new Fairweather material because we just love writing together. And I think that's like one of the best things we do as friends is just make fun of each other and write music and hash yeah, it out. Of course. And, and, and uh, so we had two new songs written for the new record almost before we had gotten through what set we were going to do for a reunion show. And when I say reunion show, it was more like, let's just do this one thing for fun and write a new record. And we didn't really, we didn't really think anybody would care beyond that point. Um, and then it just kind of morphed into doing a full length and we did some gigs and then start, people started getting married and started having kids. And so that started kind of slow down again after we released this record in 2014, the self-titled record. And uh, the same, same thing started happening. Other people started getting married. Other people started having kids. And we started writing new material in 2015 or 16, which we're kind of finishing right now. So it's basically the story of a bunch of people who are buddies. Yeah. That, that instead of watching football and hanging out, this we write music and try to play shows. Well, that's, you know, I almost wish that how that's how it could be with every band, you know, mm -hmm. um, even... You know, I briefly mentioned before that I played in a band, you know, like when we broke up, you know, the guys, we kind of went our separate ways. Um, 
as in like location wise, we're all still friends. But I, I mm-hmm. always think like, ah, if we if we were all stuck around the same spot, like you know, you can stop touring, you know. And there's, I think that lots when bands break up, it's like, why not just you know, or you know, especially when bands come back, it's like, oh, you made this big deal about breaking up, and then now you're back, and maybe you should have just right. not broken up. But I mean, it, it's hard to know, right? In that moment, like you said, there's lots of different things, situations going on, and in that moment, it's like, well, there's no way I can keep doing the band, so. Just end it so no, I can I, move on to the next thing. Yeah, and you want to move on a lot, and, and you want to put a pin in it, and you want to start a new chapter in your life. You know, those things all make sense, especially when you're young, you know, and 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 you haven't had the chance to, like, try new things or whatever, you know. Like I said, for me, it never felt like a chore, but I can totally see how it is. It can, yeah. it can, it can, it can seem like you're forced to do this thing, and so when you're forced to do something, it's not fun anymore. And if it's not fun anymore, you shouldn't do it. Yeah, but a lot of people do it, and a lot of bands get back together to make money. A lot of bands get back together because I don't know. They still like. I, we're lucky. We got back together. We played the show, and there was a ton of people there, and we're like, "Man, where were all these people <laughs> we were playing?" Yeah, no kidding. Know, that were like <laughs> super, super bummed that we broke up, that never came to the gigs. But you yeah, know, it, just, it happens. You know, you know, you don't expect your life to go the way it does, and you know, yeah. we're blessed to st- we're blessed to still be doing it. We're blessed to still like be involved with music and made a lot of friends along the way and equal, like not to circle back to equal vision, but like when we, we were first on equal vision early in the early days, there was like six between four, like four or six people that worked at the label and we would go stay there. When we go through Albany, we'd stay in the warehouse or Steve, uh, Steve Reddy had a we, bands would stay in his bar and he's the, owner of the label okay and uh they would get food for everybody in the morning so our whole tour would come through and they would get all the bands breakfast and like you know it felt like it was this great time it felt like home and like oh, you yeah. knew everybody at the label you knew where okay there's six people at the label those people gotta get paid but it's not like there's a 200 people at the label right where's the money where's the money going you know it's it's definitely a different operation you know, they got bigger over the years. They had to, music got bigger, but you know, they, they still took care of us and they still supported us and everything. Let me tell you one little t- funny story about equal vision. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good way to end it. Let's bring it back and, and wrap it up. <laughs> okay. For us. So, so we put out an EP in 2002 called Alaska. Right. And I am proud to say Alaska hit number 70 on the billboard 100 singles. Oh, right on. Uh, we came in above Pink and Nelly that week. Nice. Um, <clears throat> so it was four songs. It was going to be a single. We were going to do a single. At the time, people used to do singles. And it was like, you know, one or, one or between one and three songs. I don't know. I don't remember the details. But when it came down to doing art for the CD, uh <laughs> we ended up wanting to do this thing that was just with, we thought it was like super subversive and crazy. We wanted to have this blank CD booklet because it was the records called Alaska. The cover was the cover of this mountain that was in Alaska and there was snow everywhere. We wanted to have it like really stark and empty. And so the CD had like no shit, six pages of nothing. It was just like white yeah, in the middle. Oh. And Equal Vision was like, 
you want to print a blank CD? What the fuck are you thinking? And we were like, well, we, we want to do it. We think it'll be cool. And they're like, all right, well, it's your funeral. But they didn't care and they let us do it to the point where <laughs> record stores were sending them back because they thought they got misprinted. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. It's but a it's a testament to a label that cares about their artist's vision for them to say, I don't get it but I know you want to do it and we believe in you. So go ahead, do this crazy, stupid idea. Yeah. And, you know, and here we are and I'm talking to you on a podcast 10 years. Fucking what is it? 18 years later. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, that's again, another part of like, there doesn't always have to be that, you know, connection with everything, right? Sometimes it's like, okay, we've got this idea, let's put it out there. And you never know who's going to connect with it, right? Like maybe maybe it goes over really well, maybe it doesn't. But at least, you know, you you know, you know, followed through with what felt creative to you in that time. And, and another great yeah, and thing have, about... And you have something, belie- you have someone believing in you. Right. Which, which is so hard to do as an artist. It's so hard to have... There are a lot of people who will believe in your product, but not necessarily you. Right. They'll believe in the widget that you're selling. Yeah. Right. Uh, A lot of art galleries are this way and art dealers and the music producers and, and, and record labels. They, they want to know what it can do for them and they'll believe in thinking they can sell what you're doing but they don't necessarily believe in you outside of how much it will help them. Right. And that kind of thing as an artist is really hard to find. Yeah. Like I've worked in art galleries and museums for two decades and it's full, it's filled with slime balls Hmm. and music too. The same thing. Yeah. And so when, when you can have, when you, when you can meet people that, care about you and want to help you and help your art and they truly do and they're not just telling you that because it'll help them right then it's like it's it's hard to find yeah so yeah well man it's uh, talking to you has already made me look forward to the next time because you, you just seem to have lots of really cool insight and stories and passion about about music in general and creativity and art. And so really appreciate you taking the time well, to... Well, I would, I would love to come back and talk for two hours. So.